Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So this is Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving, as we all know, is coming up on Thursday. And I just wanted to take a moment uh, to share in thankfulness. I read a bit of the 34th Psalm, and I want to share just a little bit more. If I I move down a few verses, verse 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. I was reading the psalm this week. Uh, We're we're going to get to Acts in just a minute. Uh, But uh, I was reading this psalm this week, um, and it hit me as I read that verse. Um, There's a, there's a, um, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir actually sang this song, uh, this psalm. They turned this psalm into a song. And um, as I was listening to it after reading this uh, psalm, This section stood out to me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I don't know how things are with your family, but with our family at Thanksgiving, there are just a few things that I always look forward to, right? You don't get it often. A sweet potato casserole is one of those things, right? (laughs) Hold the marshmallows. No, no. no. (laughs) Jordan can have all of my marshmallows. Um, I, don't, I don't get Thanksgiving casserole very often, uh, but I get it at Thanksgiving, and I look forward to sweet potato casserole. Another thing that I love having that you don't get often, but we get it at Thanksgiving, is dressing. Turkey and dressing. There are just some things that your, your, your taste buds and your brain, they link together And it gives you this, oh, I'm so excited about eating that. Now, I'll give you you another little insight, and don't judge me when I tell you this. All right, this is church, no judgment in in this building. It's Kraft macaroni and cheese for me. No, no, whoa, 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 I said no judgment. No judgment. It's got to be from a box. and my wife says, she's not here this morning, um, so I can say, she says, that's not even cheese. And I tell her it is cheese. It's in a little packet, and all you have to do is reconstitute it, right? Put a little milk with it and a little butter, and it turns automatically into this scrumptious cheese that is just the best thing ever. My wife um, always takes the task of making the macaroni because she makes a homemade macaroni uh, and cheese. And uh, Anyway... Um, I was reading this psalm and listening to this, to this uh, psalm be sang by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And it hit me as, I, as they sang this verse, and I reflected back to verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, we forget what it means to spiritually taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think one of the things that we forget is the anticipation of the presence of the Lord. 
Just like I'm anticipating being able to eat sweet potato casserole. I'm anticipating. I'm looking forward to. I can't wait. I've already asked, what time do we eat on Thanksgiving? And they wanted to eat at 2.33. I said, no, 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 no. That's the role. We've got to push that up a little bit earlier. Because I'm anticipating what is coming towards me. I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait. And what the psalmist is reminding us is this is how we have to be in our relationship with the Lord. We have to look forward to tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And His goodness far exceeds the goodness that we could ever even imagine here on the face of the earth. And so we're going to do something a little different this morning. We've done it a few times. We don't do it often. But I want to ask you to share just a brief something that you are thankful for this morning. Now, we're not going to get a microphone around to you because it's just going to go quick. This is not testimony time where you preach a sermon, okay? This is just you get a few words at maximum a sentence of something that you are thankful for. And so if you go into the second sentence or if you have a run-on sentence, we're going to move on to somebody else, okay? I've got a sermon prepared, and we'll get to that if, 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 we, if the Lord lets us get to that. But we're not going to do it because we have a bunch of run-on sentences this morning. And so I'm just going to ask you, you can just stand right where you're at, be considerate of those that are around you, and then just quick, just something that you are thankful for this morning. Or if it's a brief, few-word testimony, that would be great. I think that a part of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is hearing the goodness of the Lord in other people's lives. And one of the ways that we do that is by saying, hey, listen, I've got a great recipe, right? Why don't you try that? Because it is so good. And so I want to hear the goodness of the Lord in your life. So you can just stand right where you're at real fast. Family. Amen. Yeah, he hears our prayers, yeah. Anybody else? Answered prayers. Answered prayers, yes. Amen. Strength, yes. Amen. I thank God for my wife too, Amen. 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 <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank God for his salvation and answered prayers. Amen. Anybody else? His presence, yes. Anybody else? Anyone else? Yes. Thank him for his grace. Yes. Protection and healing. Yes. Anybody else? Yeah. Amen. He meets our needs. Yes. Unity. Mm. Unity and his love. Yeah, his unfailing love. Anybody else?
Say that one more time. I didn't hear it. Oh, oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Some things you don't need to taste, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Eggplant casserole, if you didn't catch that. So. I did a short-term missionary assignment to, to Athens, Greece, and they love eggplant. And it's rude to turn something down if it's given to you, and you take it and you eat it. And I ate so much eggplant and prayed so hard with every bite that I was, I'm not an eggplant. Anybody else? Anybody else? Say one more time. I didn't hear. Yes. Man. Grandkids. That's the reward you get for enduring your kids, right? Your grandkids. That's what I've heard. Anybody else? Anybody else? You're thankful for a brief testimony this morning. Mm. Thank you. For each day. Yeah, he gives us. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank God for heaven. That's a promise for those of us who believe in him. Amen. Amen. Last one. Anybody? Clarity. Clarity. Acts 26 is where we're going to look this morning. Thank you for that. Um, I just felt that it was so important for us to take a minute before we dove into the Word of God in this week of Thanksgiving uh, to share some brief things that we are thankful for. Uh, if each of us were to share the things that we're thankful for, we could go on for hours and hours and hours, maybe even days this morning, because we are so blessed. And I think a part of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is hearing the goodness of God in other people's lives. Because one of the things that happens, in, in, uh, and I know that we've experienced it, we're going to talk about it this morning, one of the things that happens in, in each of our lives is that just sometimes the routine of the heaviness of life weighs us down so much that we forget to pause and taste and see that the Lord is good, to thank God for what He's doing in our lives and around us. And one of the ways that that happens is whenever we hear of the goodness of God in other people's lives, so that we can hear and be encouraged by that, be strengthened by each other. So as you know, we've been studying in the book of Acts chapter 20, uh, throughout the book of Acts. We're specifically in Acts chapter 26 this morning, and we're going to read through this chapter in just a second. But one of the things that I think that if we were to examine Paul's life and to give a testimony about Paul's life at this point is things are messy right now. He's on trial for his life and knows that at some point he's probably going to have to give his life just for the sake of being obedient to Jesus Christ. And just as Paul's life is messy, if we would be honest with ourselves, each one of us live a life that is messy as well. But yet we want everything to be perfect. We strive for everything to be perfect. Social media thrives on presenting the perfect. 
There are very few people who go on social media and then they just blast all of the bad stuff on social media. And you probably thought, as I said that, you probably thought of some people who do that and you either unfriend them or unfollow them because you don't want the messy because you've got enough messy to deal with in your own life. You've got enough junk that you have to wade through every single day. Sometimes life in, its, in and of itself is just heavy and it's just hard. And so because of the heaviness and the hard, because of the mess and because of our own struggles, we don't want to hear about anybody else's struggles because I don't have any more space or I don't have any more bandwidth in my own mess and in my own struggles to take on the struggles of somebody else. It's true for every single one of us that life is hard and life in and of itself is just messy. But inside each one of us, we want perfect, right? We want to be able to have a perfect life. We want to be able to wake up and say, oh, this is just the best day because I have nothing weighing heavy on my mind or on my heart. I'm carrying no burdens with me on this specific day. But that's not how life works. Life is just messy. And if we were to look at Paul's life, he's got a mess brewing. He had to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit said, this is what you need to do. He knew that he was actually going to be arrested and charged with religious crimes that they are then trying to press into what we would say today are civil crimes. He's going to actually be hauled in front of the religious leaders. He's going to look at the high priest. They're going to throw all of the charges against him and, and, and remind Paul of the kind of the double life they would say that he's living from where he was until now. He, and now that he's actually changed. He knows that he's actually going to be pulled in front of the, um, the government leaders of the day, and he's going to go through all of these processes, and people are going to, at every point, take his life. But I want to take you back a few years from where Paul's at in Acts chapter 26. We're going to, I, want you to, I want you to stay here because this is what we're going to read today. But I want to take you backwards to a verse that Paul actually wrote in his letter to, uh, to the Romans. At the end of his third missionary journey, before God stirred in Paul, you've got to go to Rome or you've got to go to Jerusalem, Paul wrote a letter to the Romans. And in that letter to the Romans, Paul wrote a verse that probably outside of John 3.16 is one of the most quoted verses in the church today. And it's Romans 8.28. We go to this verse often in the midst of the messes of life. Paul said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And oftentimes, whenever we're dealing with junk and we're dealing with messes in life, to encourage ourselves, we go back to this verse and we say, oh, it's good. Everything's good and everything's good. And let me tell you, when God works, it is always good. But the purpose of Paul writing this verse is not to point out the good. The purpose of Paul writing this verse is that God is at work in every situation. And so Paul wasn't highlighting the good but instead, Paul was highlighting the activity of God, is that God is at work. And whenever we read this verse, we think, oh, it's good, it's good, it's good. But yet we go out and we live mess after mess after mess, or struggle after struggle after struggle. 
And then what the enemy does is he lies to us and says, hey, in the middle of a mess or in the middle of a struggle, how can it actually be good? And therein is a seed planted in our mind that we have to unplant and kill it because it's not the truth. God is at work in everything. God is at work in every mess, Paul would say us, say to us. Paul is, Paul is saying God is at work, and that's the highlight of absolutely everything. And so what Paul is saying here in his letter to the Romans that he had written a few years before Acts chapter 26 is God is at work even though there is no perfection in our life. God is at work even in the middle of mess in our life. God is at work in the midst of every struggle, and we have to stop focusing on what's around us, be it what we would perceive as good or bad, and we have to start focusing on the fact that God is at work. And stop lying to ourselves and to other people and trying to present the perfect in every situation. We want to present our perfect little families. We want to present our perfect little jobs. We want to present our perfect church. We want to present our, perf our perfection in every single area of our life. But the truth of the matter is, since Genesis chapter 3, there has been no perfection on this earth other than God coming in the flesh as Jesus Christ. And so we have to stop looking and striving for perfection, and we have to start discovering where God is actually at work, as Paul was pointing out in Romans 8, chapter 28. The truth is, in all things, God works, period, the end, end it there. Now, we see the outcome of that is good for every single one of us, but that's the outcome. In the middle of the mess, the truth is God is at work. But you know what we try to do? The same thing that Adam and Eve attempted to do in the Garden of Eden. Whenever imperfection, whenever struggle, whenever mess came in their life, the first thing that Adam and Eve did is they tried to cover it up and they tried to hide. They didn't come clean with God. God knew what was going on, but he still engaged them in the conversation. And Adam and Eve tried to hide. They said, God, we messed up here. Or they're thinking this. God, we've messed up here. We've got this messy situation. We've got this struggle that's going on in our life right now. So we're just going to hide it from God, and we're going to hide it from everything else in this garden. And so we're just going to ignore it and hide it, and we're just going to present the perfection that we think is actually happening. Had Adam and Eve had Facebook, or had Adam and Eve had Instagram, or whatever the latest is today, they would have probably kept posting picture after picture of the, what was perceived as the perfection in their life and say, hey, things are great in the garden, all is well, instead of coming clean and saying, there is a mess. And in the middle of this mess and in the middle of this struggle, we need to taste and see that God is good. You see, what happens is we have that same inclination that Adam and Eve have to hide the mess and to hide the struggle and run from it and just ignore it and say, oh, it's going to actually go away. But the truth is, it's not. Because God already knows. And every mess, every struggle, and every burden, God wants to deal with it. Because the truth of the matter 
is God specializes in making a message out of our mess and a testimony from life's test. That's the specialty of God. Oh, he did it with Adam and Eve. Did they have to walk through the mess? Yeah, they did. Did they have to confess and come clean? Oh, yeah, they did. But God took that mess and turned it into a message. He took that test that they failed and turned it into a testimony. You see, what God does with messes and struggles and burdens is he redeems it and then turns it around and uses it for his glory. Have you ever gone through something in your life that you just knew, that you just knew that there was no way that something good could ever come out of it? Maybe you're, you're battling or struggling with something right now, and you're in the middle of something in your life, and you're just, I don't see it. I don't see how the good could ever come out. I don't see how God could take this and use it for his own glory. Listen, those are the situations that God wants you to surrender to him this morning. Those are the messes, and those are the tests and the trials, the struggles of life that God is saying, would you this morning just give them to me and taste and see how good I actually am in all of this? I can't explain it. I don't know how God works. This is a part of the, the mystery of God. But this is how God actually works. And this is what God is doing in the Apostle Paul's life in Acts chapter 26. He's taking the arrest of Paul and the false accusations against Paul, and he's turning around and using them for his glory and his, and his honor. If you remember a few chapters ago, four chapters ago, the Holy Spirit impressed upon Paul, you have to go to Jerusalem. Paul knew what was going to happen in that, and now we're actually living all of that out and reading about it here in Acts chapter 26. So would you follow along with me? We're going to read the whole chapter. It's a little long, but I want you to grasp what is taking place here in Acts 26. Then Agrippa, so this is the king. So Paul went through the trial. He went to Felix, got transferred to Felix, went to Festus. Festus said, I'm going to give you over to King Agrippa, and this is where Paul's at now. He's before King Agrippa. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. So I went back to verse 27, so you could see where Paul's at. I'm sorry. So I went back to chapter 25, verse 27 there. So this way you can see what Paul's, uh, where Paul is at in this situation. So we've got King Agrippa. We've got Bernice. All of the pomp and circumstances going on. These other high leaders are here, and this is where Paul is at now. So skip down to chapter 26. And this is where King Agrippa addresses Paul. You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Verse 4. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee, and now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled, is they earnestly serve God day and night. 
O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. And so what Paul is doing is he's telling his testimony. This is Paul's testimony. And so he's standing before the king on trial. He's been passed from religious leader to government leader to religious leader to government leader. And now he's before King Agrippa and his wife. They've gathered all of the leaders around. And they say, Paul, you've got permission to speak. The thing that I find so amazing here is Paul immediately goes back in his defense. And what he says is he goes back to who he was before he encountered Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, being a redeemed follower of Christ who had an encounter that we're going to read about here in just a second with Paul when he was actually on the way to kill some Christians, Paul gave his life to Jesus Christ, asked God forgiveness of his past, and God took that past and turned it into his testimony. And here Paul just starts telling his testimony. He starts telling about the life that he actually lived. And then we get to verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, O king, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. These are the words of Jesus actually appearing to Paul. Then I asked... Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I'll rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness into light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and to all Judea and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts, and they tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has ever escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? 
Paul answered. This is verse 20, 29. Paul answered, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Do you hear what Paul's doing here? He's just telling his testimony. He's taking the mess that he was in in his life. And now God has transformed that into the message. And all Paul is doing is telling about his past life. He tells about his encounter with Jesus Christ. He presents the gospel of Jesus. And then he says to the king, hey, king, what do you think about this? And the king's like, hey, you can't turn me into a Christian. You can't turn me into actually one of these followers. But you see who Paul is painting as the hero of his life? It's not himself. He tells about what he had actually done. He tells about the richness of who he actually was. But Paul does not make himself the one who actually changed his life. Instead, Paul says, it was the encounter that I had with the presence of Jesus himself who changed me and took the mess that I was in and transformed it into the message of my life. And what we do whenever we hide the messes of our life, and whenever we hide the stuff that we are actually going through in life, what we're saying is, hey, look, I'm strong. Hey, look what I can do in my life. I'm pretty much close to perfect because I can handle all of this stuff that I'm going through. I can handle everything that life is actually throwing at me. You've got something else? Throw it at me because I can take it because I'm actually strong. And what Paul is saying is, I was in a mess and I needed a Savior to redeem me. We have to stop making ourselves the hero of our own life stories and start discovering that there is a Savior and a Messiah that died to be the hero of our life story. And this only comes when we are honest with ourselves. What Paul was doing in Acts chapter 26, when he's on trial and risking his own life, he just starts telling his testimony. And in that, I believe the king was actually under conviction of the Holy Spirit because he's like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to buy into this stuff. You can't make me a Christian. You can't make me one of your followers. But what Paul is doing is pointing everybody to Jesus Christ. Verse 17 and 18, what Paul is saying is, I was facing the wrong way. I was going to kill some more Christians. I was going to do the work of the enemy, but then I encountered Jesus, and he turned my life around. He took that mess, and he turned it into a message. He took that struggle, and he turned it into a victory in my life. And then in verse 21, 22, and 3, read that again with me if you would, because it's so rich what Paul's saying. Verse 21, Paul says, That's why the Jews seized me in the temple courts, and they tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. Paul is saying, it's not me. It's not Paul's help in this situation of where I've lived as a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I'm not the hero. I have had God's help up until this very day. And he says, so... I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Paul is saying, I'm not living this life to highlight what Paul is capable of. 
Paul is saying, I am living this life to point everybody to Jesus Christ because in the middle of the messes of my life, I have had the presence of God. I have tasted and seen the goodness of God is what Paul is saying. And so I want to give that to you. But we are not the heroes. Without God, you could say that we're just the zeros, right? He is the hero. And without him, we're nothing. And Paul is pointing everybody on trial for his life. And he's not quoting the law, the religious law. He's not getting into the, um, getting into the civil law. What Paul is saying is, listen, I've only had the help of Jesus Christ in my life. God has changed me. He's transformed me. And he took the mess that I was in. And now that's my message. That's my testimony. And so all I can do is actually tell you about the goodness of God. We have to point everybody to Jesus. Otherwise, we only have a mess. We don't even have a message. We can't take our mess and try to turn it into a message. The only thing that we can do is try to put lipstick on a pig, if you will. We don't have that capability. Adam and Eve tried in the garden. How many times have we tried our very best to get ourselves out of mess, and we just go backwards and backwards and deeper and deeper and deeper into the mess? Oh, you might succeed some of the time, but you'll never succeed all of the time because the only one that can get us out of a mess is Jesus Christ. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is actually saying when he's on trial for his life. So could you imagine being on trial and standing in front of a judge and just start sharing about Jesus in your life? And the judge saying, hold on just a second. Here's the charges that have been presented against you. And Paul does what we've got to do in every situation of our life. In front of the judge, he just starts talking about Jesus. What Paul is doing is owning up to the mess in his life. So we've got to own up to the messes in our life. We've got to face it. Life is messy. Everyone has made mistakes. Absolutely everyone. This is what Paul is talking about here. He dives into that in the beginning of his life when he says, look, I was killing Christians. I was killing these people. I cast my lot, or I voted actually against them. What Paul had to do whenever he encountered Jesus Christ is he had to say, oh yes, I'm surrendering completely to you. I'm not hiding my mess. I'm giving you my mess, and I'm asking you to make that mess a message for me. Because the truth is, God already knows your mistakes. God, are no, God already knows everything that you have done in secret or in public. And all he's asking us to do is to face it, own up to it, and surrender it over to him. And in those moments, when we confess, he is faithful and just, John says, and will forgive us of our sins. All we have to do is confess, own up to it, face what the truth actually is in our life. And I think for some of us, We've been trying to dig ourselves out of a hole. We've been trying to get ourselves out of some messes. And God is just saying, hey, will you just own up to it? Will you just confess it and give it over to me? And here's what always happens 
in relationship with Jesus in those situations. He does not speak condemnation or shame. He only speaks forgiveness. And whenever God speaks forgiveness, he also forgets it. That's the beauty of God Almighty. Whenever there's confession, he forgives and he forgets. But we can't do it on our own. We just dig deeper in the hole. We dig deeper in the mess. And God is saying, would you just surrender it to me? Would you just confess it, repent of it, and go the other way so that I can wash it and we can move past that? You know, in the book of John, Jesus actually encountered a woman that had had five husbands. And then at this point when he encountered her, she was living with somebody else. Jesus met her and started a conversation with her. And whenever Jesus met her and had this conversation with her, and she confessed, Jesus did not give her a tongue lashing. Jesus did not pour out shame on top of her. He didn't order her off to be stoned because of the sins that she had actually committed. No, he instead told her what he had to offer when she gave her mess to the one who could turn it into a message. And in John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. You're standing at a well. He's talking about the well water there. And he says, but those who drink the water that I will give them will never become thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give them will become in them a spring that gushes up into eternal life. Jesus is saying, listen, whenever you encounter me, Jesus, Jesus is, is saying, whenever you encounter him, whenever you encounter him and you surrender your mess to Jesus Christ, you confess it, you repent of it, Jesus takes that upon himself. We don't carry it any longer, but he takes that upon himself and redeems it and gives it back for a testimony for us to share with other people. This is what Paul is doing in Acts chapter 26. God redeems our message and God redeems our messes and turns it into a message for every one of us because Paul's reminder is that the presence of Jesus changes us if we surrender completely to him. You say, well, where did that happen and what Paul is saying here? Paul says in his testimony to the king, on his trial to King Agrippa, Paul says, I encountered Jesus Christ. I had a conversation. I began a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus changed me. And then empowered me to go forward. Now I'll tell you what a lot of us do. It's our default. And I think that this is a part of what Adam and Eve were struggling with in the garden. We think, we think that the test of life or the messes of life automatically become a testimony. We think, oh, God's letting me go through this so that it can be a testimony. And it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't. You can go through the deepest mess and come out of it, but it doesn't automatically turn into a message or a testimony. 
So if you're going through something and you think, if I can just get through this and get to the other side, boy, God's going to use it in my life. Well, God's going to use it. But what you have to do is give it to him first. Because tests of life and messes in life, they don't automatically become testimonies. Because if it was automatic, a testimony, if it was automatically your message, you wouldn't need a Savior. But you have to have a Savior. And what Paul did is he encountered the Savior on the road to Damascus. And it was that encounter that changed Paul And then what Paul had lived actually became his testimony. Here's how it works. Paul surrendered his life to Jesus. Jesus redeemed it, and then that became his testimony. God was the hero of the story. The things that you go through in life, the struggles, the messes, the test, God's just waiting for you to give them to him. That's how they become a testimony. Whenever they're redeemed, then what happens is they become a holy fuel for us, propelling us forward in life. This is how Paul lived, and we see it all throughout the book of Acts. Paul gave his mess to Jesus. Jesus redeemed it, and then Jesus used it. But if we skip the redemption of Jesus, what we're saying is, hey, look how good I am. Look what I did because I used that. Yeah, I was going to church in the middle of those, those messes in my life. I was reading my Bible. I was doing some devotions. I was, I was doing everything I could to live a great Christian life. And so look, look at what I did in all of this. I endured. I endured. How much easier would it be if we endured with Jesus Christ, though? Your test, your mess, doesn't automatically become a testimony or a message. That only happens when you give it to Jesus. So this morning, if you were to be honest and open with Jesus, what is he waiting for you to surrender to him today? What have you been carrying in your life thinking, if I can just get through this? God, God, could you just give me one more day, God? If I could just make it to bed tonight, maybe I can get a little bit of sleep so that I can wake up and I can do one more day. You see, these are the things that Jesus is waiting for you to give to him. These are the messes of life. These are the tests and the struggles of life that Jesus is just saying, hey, give it to me. Give it to me. And if you give it to me, I will redeem it, and then it becomes a holy fuel to compel you in life. So what is it that you've been carrying, struggling with, wading through, just trying to endure, doing your best, that God is saying, hey, would you give it to me this morning? Let me redeem it so that I could use it in your life, so that you don't have to strive, so that you don't have to struggle so that you don't have to wrestle with it, but instead that you would be able to walk through life unscathed because you're walking filled with the Spirit empowered by God Almighty.
I think for every one of us, every one of us, bar none, every single one of us, there are things that are weighing heavy on us that we're just like, I don't want to bother God with that. God's got a lot on his plate right now. This world is a mess. There's so much going on, and I just don't want to bother God. Listen, it's not a bother to God. If somebody comes who's God Almighty, who spoke the world into existence, and wraps himself in flesh and dies for us, it is not a bother to hear about the stuff that we're going through in life. He did all of that so that this is possible, so that he can take our messes, so that he can take the junk of life and redeem it, and we can use it as a holy fuel. So what this morning has the Holy Spirit put on your mind that you've just got to lay down to him this morning? What is it? What has God stirred up in you? You see, Paul not only wrote Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. But just nine verses later, he wrote this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The mess that you're in, he doesn't want you to struggle with it. He wants you to be more than a conqueror of that mess. And the way that that happens is when you surrender it completely to him, completely to him, so that you can then be more than a conqueror. Not a conqueror, more than a conqueror. But it starts this morning when you surrender completely to him. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.